Hosea 11, 1 through 11. When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. But the more I called Israel, the further they went from me. They sacrificed to the Baals, and they burned incense to images. It was I who taught Ephraim to walk, taking them by the arms, but they did not realize it was I who healed them. I led them with cords of human kindness, with ties of love. I lifted the yoke from their neck and bent down to feed them. Will they not return to Egypt and will not Assyria rule over them because they refuse to repent? Swords will flash in their cities, will destroy the bars of their gates and put an end to their plans. My people are determined to turn from me. Even if they call to the Most High, he will by no means exalt them. How can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I hand you over, Israel? How can I treat you like Adma? How can I make you like Zeboim? My heart is changed within me. All my compassion is aroused. I will not carry out my fierce anger, nor will I turn and devastate Ephraim. For I am God and not man, the Holy One among you. I will not come in wrath. They will follow the Lord. He will roar like a lion. When he roars, his children will come trembling from the west. They will come trembling like birds from Egypt, like doves from Assyria. I will settle them in their home, declares the Lord. you fathers, men, say that on my behalf now. And, um, you know, we're going through the series on the minor prophets. And I, I figured before we just jump into Joel, there's this really beautiful image here of God in Hosea. God is father to Israel. And so I want to speak uh, on that theme and, and talk about Father's Day today and, and see our God as a father. So we're going to stay in Hosea today and do that. And what I want to really do this morning is is to look at this fundamental question of, of what does it mean to relate to God as Father? Like, what, is that, what does that look like? What are the complexities of that? What does it mean to live in this world as children of our Father? How do we do that? And what are the challenges to that? And I think we see a lot in this passage that gets at that. And we'll look at Jesus as well and how he helps us with that. So um, Hosea 11, 1 through 11, uh, you know, last week we looked at Hosea as a whole, and the main metaphor there is not God as Father, but God as, this is called dead air, folks, um, God as husband, right? God as husband and Israel as his bride who has been unfaithful to him. That was the metaphor we ran with. We looked at God's passionate, fierce love for his people, the love of a husband for his bride. But in this chapter, we get this other image of God as father and Israel as his son. And what you, what you get is we are thrown into all the complexities of a father-son relationship in this passage. And Mark talked about, um, you know, Father's Day is a complex day for a lot of people. I remember years ago, we did a men's retreat. And on Friday night, the first night of the men's retreat, we had a roundtable discussion as an opener around this, talk about your relationship with your dad. And at my table, it was remarkable how complex and complicated and even painful 
um, that conversation was for, for many of the men at my table. Very complicated relationship. And what I find interesting is it's no different with God and Israel. God is father, Israel is, is son, and we're, we're introduced into all the complexities of that relationship here. And so I want you just to kind of see that today. Um, there's some really tender images in this chapter of God as, as a loving father. And he, what he does in this chapter is he kind of reminisces about his relationship with his son Israel. And I, I, um, my phone, I, if, you, if this happens, I don't have an iPhone. Okay, that makes me a persecuted member of society, and I'll just tell you, but I don't know if you, any other Android users, but on my phone, uh, my, my, um, my photo app, every once in a while, just, will just, there'll be a, a note that says, five years ago today, right? And it puts together this beautiful collage of pictures that happened five years ago today and sets it to music. So I'll be in the middle of my work day and I'll just be like crying, you know, looking at these old images of me and my girls and um, just this, this reminiscent, reminiscence. And that's really what God is doing in this chapter. He's reminiscing about his relationship with his son. Look at verse, verse one. When Israel was a child, I loved him and out of Egypt, I called my son. He's looking back on the story of Abraham and Abraham's family, how they had gone down into Egypt, right? And become slaves. And then God called Egypt out of slavery and formed a relationship with them. And in that, if you go back to that original Exodus 4, this is what God says to Moses. Say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says, Israel is my firstborn son. Let my son go so he may worship me. So God comes to this nation as a father to a son. He says, I want to become your dad. Look at verse 3. It was I who taught Ephraim, that's Israel, to walk, taking them by the arms. Uh, verse 4, I led them with cords of human kindness, with ties of love. To them I was like one who lifts a little child to the cheek, and I bent down to feed them. He's reminiscing on the early days as he brought them out of Egypt and then into the wilderness and he taught them to walk, essentially. He taught them what it looks like to be in relationship with him. He fed them, right? He fed them with manna. He was, he was teaching them the rhythms of dependence and trust on him. They were just a fledgling little group of people, a little child that he was training up and loving and providing and protecting in the wilderness. Uh, and so he's reminiscing uh, on that. But of course, in this passage, he's also reminded of Israel's consistent waywardness, of just the stubbornness of his son, <laughs> and how challenging it's been to try to parent this, this son, Israel. Look at verse two. Uh, but the more they were called, the more they went away from me. Um, parents, have you ever experienced that? I mean, I, yes, thank you. Mr. Wahlberg in the back, me too. Like, gosh, I feel like the more we lean into her, the more we, she just, we push her away. It feels like I try to, the more I try to reach out to him, he just, it just kind of pushes him away. And that's how God experienced his relationship with Israel. Verse two, second half verse two, they sacrificed to the Baals, right? The Baals, as I, I mentioned. Uh, they burn incense to other images. They wouldn't trust that I, I could provide. I'm a, I'm a generous providing father, but they thought, no, we need other, other gods who are gonna provide for us. Uh, verse 3, uh, it was I who taught them to walk, taking by the arms. They didn't realize it was I who healed them. Like I would heal them and they wouldn't realize I was the one who was healing them. Parents, have you ever had this experience where you, um, you give your kids some really good advice? Okay? Like some, some, real, some real wisdom. 
And they just kind of ignore it. And like two years later, they go to youth group and their youth pastor gives them the exact same advice. Or like one of your friends gives them the same, said, dad, mom, guess what? I'm doing this thing, I'm learning this. You're like, I was the one who taught you that, right? (laughs) And this is what God is experiencing. I'm the one who heals you. And you think that other people are healing, but I'm the one who's doing this for you. Look at verse seven. My people are determined to turn from me. Even though they call me God most high, they continue to call me their God, and yet they're turning from me again and again. And so God is caught in this tough place as a loving father with a very wayward son. Okay? And on the one hand, he wants to punish, and maybe a better word would be, he wants to discipline his son. So you look at verse six. A sword will flash in their cities. It will devour their fa- false prophets and put an end to their plans. I got to do something. I got to discipline my son. And yet he loves them, right? Verse eight. Um, how can I give you up, Ephraim? Right? We looked at this verse last week. How can I hand you over? I will not carry out my fierce anger. All the complexities of a dad trying to work with a untrusting and disobedient son. And so he's wanting to lead them and provide and protect them and guide them. And they are distrustful. They're suspicious. They're prideful. They're wanting to do it their own way. Sounds familiar to some of us parents, I imagine. And so I just want to stop there and and look at their example. And I I, I want to ask the question, like, how many of us, in, in our own ways, experience our relationship with God in some similar ways. Like, I I think Israel actually captures the complexities that so many of us feel in our relationship with God. If we've grown up in the church, we've been told our whole lives that God is a loving father. Okay, we've heard that so many times, and yet we have a really hard time experiencing him truly as this loving father, or relating to him, walking with him uh, as a loving father. Last week, I... I made the comment, I think a lot of people, when they imagine God's posture to them, they would sum that up in saying, I kind of think God is just sort of distantly disappointed in me, right? That's what I say. Like when I imagine him and how he thinks about me, he's just kind of distantly disappointed in me. And I've been thinking about that all week, uh, about how we experience God, what we feel about God. And, and as I've been wrestling with this and thinking about it, to, to me, I think it comes down to the core issue of trust. That, and there's other issues too, but I think at the heart of it, we have a hard time trusting in our God as a loving, wise, perfect Father who provides and protects us and guides us and has everything uh, that we need to know from him. We, we have a, just a really hard time trusting. I, the way I would say is, it's like our truster is broken. And I, I just think of Trace's story. When Trace has this experience of her earthly father, um, it makes a lot of sense that, that your truster would be broken from that. And a lot of us have great relationships with our fathers, and yet that truster with God, there's something broken about it. And, that, and that's a challenge in our relationship with him. And I was thinking, I, I think this distrust has two real common forms, okay? One is more of a worldly form, where what we distrust is we fundamentally distrust God's good intentions for our lives. We trust that he has a good plan and good intentions for our lives. We're like Adam and Eve, our first ancestors, who, who were put in this beautiful garden. There's plenty of evidence uh, to trust in God, But there's this tree right in the middle of the garden, and it's beautiful. It's called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God says, please don't eat that tree. 
And we, we hear that we th- and we think, that's weird. Like, why not? What's, what's, what am I missing by not going after that? Why would God not want that for me? Right? And, and I think that's a fundamental source of distrust. God, I, I don't, I'm not sure that you have, I don't, I'm not sure that you're going to lead to the good life. That if I follow you with reckless abandon, that will lead to a life that is fulfilling and satisfying and enriched. That is, it is the good life. Um, I actually think there are probably other things that will give me a better life. And so I'm going to hold on to those things. I'm going to go after those things. And there's going to be certain things that you're going to want me to let go of. I'm not going to let go of those things. I'm going to kind of try to figure it out myself what I think is going to give me the good life which is exactly what Adam and Eve did. Uh, I think I know. I think I'll, I'm going to keep you in, involved, but I think I, I'm going to kind of chart my own way in life. We're, we're, like, we're like kids um, who kind of just have to learn things on their own. <laughs> and some of you have kids like that, right? You, you can tell them, don't touch that. That's really hot. Um, don't eat that all the time. It's going to make you sick. And, and they just kind of have to learn it for themselves, Right? Some kids don't, but some kids do. And I think all of us, there's a part of us says, I want to just, I'm going to figure this out, God, and you're going to be part of this, but I don't totally trust that you have the best intentions for me. And for many of us, life hasn't gone well, and so we have reasons to kind of distrust God. I remember meeting with a guy a couple years back uh, who doesn't come here, but we were meeting for a, a season, and he had just gone through this really painful, broken uh, romantic relationship. They'd been living together for a number of years, and then they separated. And it got ugly after, after the breakup. And they were kind of just, and they were escalating um, kind of towards each other. And it was actually getting litigious. And, and I remember just stepping back with them going like, hey, I don't think that's not going to lead to, <laughs> to a good life for you. I mean, I wasn't even like appealing to God that much. Like, this isn't going to lead to flourishing. And he just, where he was, he could not get his head around that. Like, I have to win this. I have to, right, get what I can out of this. And he couldn't see there was another way. And I think for a lot of us, that's, there's a piece of us that's like that. God, I just, I don't fully trust your good intentions. And so I need to figure, the, I need to figure this out on my own, okay? So that's a form of distrust. But I think there's another form of distrust, and it's this. We don't trust God's acceptance of us and his forgiveness of us and his deep approval of us. We don't trust that. We're, again, we're like Adam and Eve, right? The minute they eat that fruit, they realize that they are naked. Got you to say naked in church. Good job. Um, <laughs> they realize, oh, this, is, this was wrong. This was bad. And I was thinking this week, we know the story, but they, the story could have gone differently. They could have in that moment gone, oh my gosh, what were we doing? Let's run to our father and see if he can, he can help us here. But that's not what they do, right? They, they make this mistake, and then they, they think, well, we, we're afraid of him, so we've got to come up with a solution here. We've got to figure something out. So they, they try to you know, right, make clothes for themselves, and they try to hide, and they start blaming. But they embark on this attempt to solve the problem of their guilt and sin. They don't trust that maybe, maybe our Father has forgiveness for us in this. Maybe he, there's acceptance and, and reconciliation for us. And I think that's so many of us, we don't trust 
that he can solve the problems for us. We don't trust in his grace and his forgiveness. And so what that means is we're constantly trying to perform for him. And I think if a lot of us get inside of our relationship with God and step back, we, we realize, man, there's, there's just a performer. I'm, I'm trying so hard to please God. I'm trying to be the best version of myself I can <laughs> that I think will earn God's approval or at least maintain his approval. And so we've got this relationship with him, but we're never fully secure in it. We're never fully just at rest. We're always kind of going. We're always trying to perform. We're always trying to piece together a, a, a slightly better version of ourselves for him. Um, we're like the kid who scores the goal, right? And immediately looks over to mom and dad to see if they saw it, right? We're like the kid who's getting the 4.2 GPA, uh, and is a really good kid and is obeying all the rules, hoping to maintain and gain his parents' approval. Very different than the first kid. <laughs> but both forms of distrust. Uh, Jesus tells uh, his most famous parable of all, I would argue, about a story of a father with two sons. It's called, we know it as the, the parable of the prodigal son. And at the core, both of these sons have a trust issue. Their, their truster is broken with their dad. The younger son doesn't trust that there's life to be had in his father's house. He thinks there's a world out there. There's other things that are going to gain him the, the joy and the fulfillment and the excitement that his soul craves. And he learns the hard way. It's empty out there. <laughs> there's joy in my father's house. And there's another son, the older son, who never fully trusted that his father just loved him because he was his son. And so he says, I've been constantly slaving away for my own dad. I'm a slave to my own dad. Never at home in his father's love. Both sons have this, this truster issue. And, I, and so I, I know it's a long way of saying, I, I think that there's a core issue of trust uh, that Israel struggled with, with Yahweh, and that we continue to struggle with, with our heavenly father. And it creates a complexity of relationship with him. You with me? So I want to just remind us on Father's Day of the gospel. And it's this, what has God done to solve this, to reconcile this, this broken relationship? And uh, I've got nothing, nothing new to say today. Um, but I was really struck this week by this idea. What God wants to reveal himself as a loving father who we can totally trust. How does he do that? How does he reveal himself to us as father? He reveals himself as father by sending his son. He reveals himself as father by sending his son and saying, let me show you my love as a father by introducing you to my son and the relationship I have with him. You wanna trust me? Look at my son. Look at our relationship. It's almost like he says, hey, you, you don't need a set of principles uh, here. Let, I, I, I want to show you that. You need, you need a living example of what this relationship can look like. And so he sends his son, Jesus. And it's really interesting. In Matthew's gospel, when Matthew tells, tells his Christmas story about the birth and the early life of Jesus, he quotes from Hosea 11.1. 1. Who would have thought that? Okay, Let me give it to you. In exactly three seconds, 
Oh, it's off. No, it's not. It's on. Uh, Paul, will you give me that slide? I don't know why this isn't working. Okay. Fascinating. So, uh, King Herod tries to kill Jesus, right? All the two-year-old boys around the area. And an angel of the Lord appears to Joseph, Jesus' father, in a dream and says, Get up, he said, take the child and his mother. I'll see if I have control in a second. Uh, and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. Yes. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Hosea 1.1, Out of Egypt I called my son. Okay? Now, what's interesting, if you read our passage, this is not a prophecy, right? This is not a prediction waiting for fulfillment. But Matthew is telling us, oh, look, Jesus is reliving the story of Israel. And you think of Israel's story. Abraham and his descendants start in the promised land. A famine sends them down to Egypt, right? And then they come out of Egypt, right? They come through the Red Sea, through the waters of the Red Sea. They spend 40 years in the desert and into the promised land, and Jesus, God's firstborn son, likewise starts in the promised land. And then because of Herod, he is too sent down into Egypt. And then he comes out, out of Egypt and he passes through the waters of his baptism and enters into the wilderness for how long? 40 days. And then enters into, into his ministry in the promised land. What is he doing? He is reliving the story of Israel. And the son that God always longed for in Israel he has perfectly in Jesus, his firstborn son. In the relationship that God always longed for with Israel, he will have with Jesus, who is the embodiment of Israel. And so I love this. And, and so I, I just, again, it's a simple idea, but I was struck this week by God saying, hey, the way I'm gonna reconcile this thing for you is... Again, I'm not going to just give you principles about how to relate to me as a father. I, I want to show it to you. Some things are better caught than, than taught, right? Here, look at my son. Watch him in action. Watch me and my son interact. I want you to see it modeled, and I want to invite you into it, but I want you to have a lived experience of seeing what I long for with each one of my children by seeing it in the relationship I have with me and my son, Jesus. Okay, and so as, well, that's what we have in the Gospels, essentially. We have this first row, front row seat to this relationship between Jesus and his Father that the Father longs for for all of us. Let me just give you a couple examples of this. I love this. Um, there's only two times in Matthew's Gospel where God the Father speaks out loud. Okay? Twice where he, you might want to pay attention to what he has to say, right? Like voice, audible voice from heaven, twice. Here they are. First at his baptism. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove alighting on him. And he, you guys know the words. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son, whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. Mm, this is my boy. I love him. I am so proud of him. I am so pleased with him. The only other place is at the transfiguration, the Mount of Transfiguration. Uh, when Jesus is transfigured, right? Moses and Elijah are there. It's this amazing moment. Uh, and Peter, as he always does, kind of ruins the moment by speaking. Uh, <laughs> Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's so good for us to be up here. If you wish, I'll put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. I love that the author adds this. He didn't know what to say. They were so frightened. He, he didn't know what he was talking about. 
God interrupts Peter. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. Listen to him. So twice we hear the voice of God, and God is revealing himself in a way you cannot miss. I am the father of this son. I am such a proud papa. I love my son. I'm so pleased with him. My, My heart is filled with joy as I consider my son. And so all that say, we see the love of God for his children through his love for Jesus. And then, of course, from Jesus, we get to watch what it looks like to be a child of God, the trust and obedience he had in his dad. We watch him through the wilderness, right? His 40 days in the wilderness. And we watch him trust his dad even when circumstances around him make him think, I don't know if my dad's here, I don't know if my dad's protecting me and he's being tempted, but he holds on to this ruthless trust. I'm gonna trust that my dad has what's best for me, knows what's best, I'm gonna follow him no matter what. Um, We watch him sometimes wake up in the early morning before the crowds come and just get away, right? Before dawn, to be with his dad, to pray with him, to re-kind of ground his identity in his dad, to listen, dad, what do you want me to do today? Um, we, we, get, we get to actually sometimes he'll share how he thinks about his relationship with his dad. Let me give you one, one or two quotes from John. This is Jesus speaking. Very truly, I tell you, the son, I, I can't do anything by myself. He can only do what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Again, later in the passage, by myself I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear and my judgment is just, for I seek not to please myself but him who sent me. Um, It'd be really weird if you heard a 33-year-old guy talk that way today, right? Like, I only do what my daddy tells me to do, right? I just listen to my daddy and I, whatever he says to do, I just want to please my dad. Um, But that's that's how Jesus lived every day. He lived to this place of, I'm listening, I'm, I'm just wanting to please him. We can, of course, look at him in Gethsemane, his ultimate kind of temptation where the cross is before him and he's feeling the weight of what his dad is asking him to do. And he's wrestling, he's asking for another way. But his heart ultimately comes to this place of not what, not what I want, dad, but what you want. And so in Jesus, we get a lived out experience of someone who trusts in his dad, who loves and delights in his dad, who focuses on his dad, who prays to his dad, who depends on his dad for everything. We get to see what being a child of God looks like through Jesus. And I was just thinking like that's, you know, the disciples, these these 12 men, maybe more than anything, that's what they got from Jesus. I mean, they got great teaching. uh, They they got um, miracles, right? They got healings, all these things. But really what they got is access to this, like, this beautifully intimate relationship between Jesus and his father that they could kind of look at and go, oh my gosh, there's something different about that. So they asked Jesus, like, teach us to pray, Jesus. Like, we see the way that this goes for you. We want, we want that. Increase our faith, they'll ask him. Like, we see the faith you have. Um, we, we, we're kind of looking at this thing that we're looking at from the outside. And can we have that? Can we have access to that? And the gospel is, yes, <laughs> this is the gospel. You can have access to that relationship that Jesus has with his father because he not only modeled it, but then he went to the cross 
to die for us, to pay the sins for all of, uh, pay the penalty for all our sins, to, to face the righteous judgment of God, to open a door to forgiveness, to no condemnation from our Father, so that by faith in him we can be adopted, this is the gospel, adopted into God's family. And not only that, but Jesus then gives us the spirit that animated him in his relationship with his father. I love this passage. For those who are led by the spirit of God are the children of God, right? The spirit you receive doesn't make you slaves so that you live in fear again with your father. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship and by him we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. The spirit that was in Jesus Christ is given to us when we put our faith in Jesus. And the spirit is at work healing our broken trusters. That's what he's doing. He's over time convincing us in our heart of hearts, God, your Father, he loves you. You don't have to try to prove anything to him. You don't have to keep trying to earn his approval. And you can trust his intentions. You can let go of the things that you're holding on to so tightly. When he says to do something, you can trust that's a good call. <laughs> you can trust him. This is what the Spirit is at work in us doing over time. I love how Jesus says this, last, last verse. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them. Think about this image. And we, my Father and I, will come to them and make our home with them. Okay, the relationship that's at the center of the universe, that has existed for all eternity between Jesus and his Father, that we see beautifully lived out in the earthly life of Jesus in the Gospels, Jesus is saying that relationship can come and make its home in your heart, within you, by faith, through the Spirit. So, Here's what's so unique about Christianity. Every religion says there's something broken between us and God, right? Here's what's unique about Christianity. It says, hey, we are not left to try to figure out how to repair that relationship. Okay, that's not how this works. Christianity is unique and says we get to enter into a relationship that already exists, it's not up to us to try to figure out, how do I repair my relationship with my dad? No, there's a relationship that already exists between Jesus and his dad, and we get to enter into that relationship and join Jesus in his loving and trusting relationship with his dad. It doesn't depend on our performance. It doesn't depend on a couple principles that we need to apply to fix the relationship. It is fundamentally relational through Jesus Christ. And I was thinking, I'll leave you with this, this image this week of like a Father's Day image of like a dad playing catch with his boy or playing catch with his girl, okay? And I want you to imagine your relationship with God as that. God's throwing a ball to you and you're trying to play catch with your father. You're young, but you don't, you don't really know how to do it. And honestly, I think this is how many of us experience our relationship with God. Like, we're, we're trying to play catch, but I can't, I'm, not, I'm not good catching. I, I, I drop, and I haven't really learned how to throw, and so I'm throwing the ball off this way. And, and God's kind of like, oh, right? He's going to go down, his back's sore if he's a dad like me, you know? <laughs> Let's do it again, you know? And like, that's, I think, how a lot of us experience our relationship with dad. I'm trying to play catch, and I'm not really good at it. And he's kind of just disappointed in me. 
And the gospel is God's firstborn son, Jesus, comes behind us and says, let me show you how to play catch with your dad, okay? Let me show you the rhythms of back and forth with your dad. Here, hold the glove like this when it's coming at you. You gotta pull back your, your elbow this way and you gotta, here's how you release the ball. We're gonna do this together. I'm gonna show you how to play catch. I've been doing it for centuries. I'm really good at it. And why would you know how to do this? You're just a kid, you would know how to do this. Let me, let me show you how to do this. We'll do it together for the rest of your life. Right, that, I mean, that is, that is the gospel. We're not left to try to figure out how to throw back and forth with God. Jesus comes alongside of us and says, let me show you, let me show you how to do this. And I'm gonna give you my spirit to help you the rest of your eternal existence. So I wanna, on this Father's Day, I, want, I wanna leave you just with the question. I wanna leave you with this question of trust. And where is your truster broken <laughs> right now? And where do you need Jesus to come alongside you and go, let me, let me show you again the rhythms of trust with your dad. And so I want to just end our, uh, have us come into a time of prayer. So you would just close your eyes with me. How do we learn to live in this world as children of God? This is, our, this is the journey of our lives. I want to invite you right now to imagine your father just remind you, you can trust me. I am so trustworthy. I love you. I am well pleased. You can trust me. And for you, what is one thing, just one thing, one area where you can move towards God and trust? Uh, it might be something you're holding on to. You're, you're trying to control in your life right now. And, he, and he's saying, you gotta let me, you gotta give this to me. Just hand this over to me. I, can, I promise you, I have this. Just let it go. Give it to me. Let me hold it for you. Uh, maybe it's an area where you're still, you're working to perform for him. You're, you're still trying to gain his approval and you need to hear a fresh voice from him just saying, you already have my love. Just come home. Stop trying to work so hard for me. Just come home. Where is it you need to come home to your dad this morning? Where is it you need to trust him? Just take a moment. 